This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. Psalm 119. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. They have charged us, you have charged us to keep your commands carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your, I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Be good, as, uh, be good to your servant that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. I am only a foreigner in the land. Don't hide your commands from me. I am always overwhelmed with a desire for your regulations. You rebuke the arrogant. Those who wander from your commands are cursed. Don't let them, let, don't let them scorn and insult me, for I have obeyed your laws. Even princes sit and speak against me, but I will meditate on your decrees. Your laws please me. They give me wise advice. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. It's a blessing to see you here because I remember the day when I preached to two people, Gene and the guy with the cigarettes. But praise God, the word of God is true regardless of who's there. The Word of God is powerful. I, I can say that the year 2020 is unlike any year I've ever lived. And I've lived 81 years, so I've lived a very long time. There are some outward signs that I've been around a long time. My granddaughter one day jiggled this and said, How do you get these, Grandma? I said, you live a long time, 81 years, and 2020 is like no year I've ever lived. I was born in 1939, and I was born into a world that would be unfamiliar to all of you who are young, because when I was born, uh, we had no television. I was actually a 14-year-old kid before I ever laid my eyes on a television. And I thought it was one of the most miraculous things I had ever seen, that a picture could come into our home. 
in, in the years that I was a, a young child, uh, we didn't have the things that are so normal to you. No television. There were no aerosol cans. We did not have ballpoint pens. Uh, we, we didn't have microwave ovens. We didn't have diet sodas. We didn't even have Barbie dolls. That's how old I am. I was talking to some 20-year-olds one day, and one of the guys that I was talking to, I was telling him about all this, and he said, ma'am, you ought to write a book. And I said, they have written a book. It's called Ancient History. So you know from the years I've lived that I've lived through a lot of changes. I've seen the world change. I've seen very drastic changes. For, to come from where I was in 1939 when I was born at the beginning of World War II to this generation is just to have seen the way that the world has evolved and the world has changed. But yet, I have never seen a year like the year we are now living. And I knew even, you know, the year seemed strange, that there was something that God wanted to say to me about this year. I knew that the strangeness of this year was much deeper than politics, uh, much deeper than all of the things that we hear on the news broadcast. I knew that God wanted to say something to me about this time when I'm living as an 81-year-old woman. And I went to the Lord and I prayed to the Lord. And I said, God, what is it that you want me to know about this time in which I'm living. And I heard the Lord say to me, you're going away you have never gone before. You're going away you have never gone before. And I knew that was a scripture. I had read that in the Bible. So I went to my Bible, and I found it. It's recorded in Joshua chapter 3. And I'm only going to read the first five verses, but I want you to pay attention to what is said here. Because in these five verses, God is going to connect us with something that God is going to do in our future. And in Joshua chapter 3, Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites. Their great leader, Moses, has died. A generation has passed away that came out of Egyptian slavery. And we're going to pick up the story on a day when this group of people, about 3 million people, came to the river Jordan. It was going to be a place of crossing. It was going to be a place of very significant importance. And this is what the Bible said about it. Joshua 3, verses 1 through 5. 
And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, and they came to the river Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers, the leaders, went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, when you see this ark and the priest bearing it, then you shall remove uh, from your place and you shall go after that ark. And yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits, that's a little more than a half a mile, and you're to walk by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way that you must go, meaning everybody had to be able to see the ark. Now listen to this. For you have not passed this way before. You have not passed this way before. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders for you. And I knew when the Lord said, you have not passed this way before, and I read these scriptures, that we, we have to be very careful from whom we get our information. Because if we only look at what we see, if we only hear what we're told through newspapers, broadcasts, friends, we really do not know what's going on. You have to get good information from someone who understands what's going on. And if you're not connected to God, you really are clueless as to what's going on. I know one time I had a new outfit, and I wore it to speak in a church, and I didn't like the outfit. And so when we got home, I said to my husband, Gene, I said, uh, it was later on that night, I said, uh, you know that outfit I wore today? And he sort of nodded his head. And I said, did I look cute in that? And the minute I said that, fear came in his eyes. His eyes glazed over. And I thought, he doesn't know what I wore this morning. And he just sort of nodded and said, yeah, you look cute. He's clueless. He's clueless. I said, what color was it? He didn't know. <laughs> you better get information from somebody who's not clueless. Women, if you want to know if you're cute, don't ask your husband. Ask your best friend, and she'll tell you the truth. And so I knew we had to get information from God. And when the Lord said, you're going to go away that you've never gone before, I knew it was not about what's going on in the world. Now, you know, it's not about this. When, when, when the Lord said 2020 uh, is different and you're not going to go the way you've always gone, I knew it was not about politics and all this stuff. It was about God's movement. Because we have to understand 
that in the midst of everything that is going on today, there is the mighty government of God that is moving. And we have to connect with that. Otherwise, we're just clueless people. And if you know anything about God, you know that God's program, God's plan, God's kingdom is always shifting and moving forward because God has an end. God has a purpose. God has a destination. And there are times when God shifts the gears and and we have to stay connected to the shifting of the gears because we cannot just do religion in the same form the same way, year after year after year, because God moves, and God is alive, and God requires us to move and to shift with him. And so we have this place where God shifts the gears, and it's a place of entering in. Now, these Israelites came to River Jordan, And this group of people had wandered in a wilderness for 40 years. They had been delivered by a mighty work of God. They had a leader, Moses. And God had a destination for them. God had a place that he needed them to go. And through their own choices, They had wandered in a wilderness for 40 years, going nowhere. They had just gone, if you trace it on a map, in circles. And they went from problem to problem to problem. And on this day, they came to River Jordan, and God shifted the gears. Because they were going to go from being a group of people who wandered in a wilderness to becoming a holy nation. They were going to fulfill a promise God had made to Abraham about a land. And they were going to move from what they needed to what God needed. They were going to uh, not only come out, they were going to enter in. Because the purpose of God is not just to get a people out. God has something he wants us to enter into. And this group had gotten out. They had gotten out by mighty miracles of God. And their leader, Moses, had brought them to a body of water called the Red Sea. And Moses lifted his rod, and the Red Sea parted, and the Israelites crossed over, and they were saved from Pharaoh's pursuing armies. That had happened 40 years previously. And on this day, God brought them to another body of water, the Jordan River. And the Red Sea was about getting out, And the Jordan River was about entering in because God brings us out so that we can enter in. And he brought the Israelites to that place. And it was very different 
What happened at the Red Sea was wonderful, but this was different because God had shifted gears. God was, was doing something that was prophetic, and by that word, I mean he's moving it forward. The whole kingdom is being moved forward. No more wondering, a forward movement toward purpose. Now, that story is going to be uh, kind of the basis of what I want to share with you this morning. And I want you to understand that at that moment, this group of Israelites came together as kind of a corporate group. They didn't just run over the Jordan River when they pleased. They didn't go over by themselves. God organized the thing. And God said, uh, you're going to go over and you're going to follow the Ark of the Covenant, which was the very presence of God. They actually were taught and believed that God himself, what the presence of God was in that box. And these men put their feet into water, completely different from the Red Sea. The Red Sea's Moses with a rod, and here, it's corporate movement. It's a, the Ark of the Covenant leading the way. And it's people who put their feet in the water, and the water parted. This prophetic shifting. Going away, they had never gone before. Now, I, I've, I've already had an experience of going away I have never gone before. Back in probably the 60s and the 70s, I was a 20-year-old woman, 30-year-old woman in my 70s, raising kids. Mark was born in 1965. So I'm a young, stay-at-home mom. And I lived in a culture that, that was changing. I lived in this time when, when the culture was undergoing drastic changes in the 60s and the 70s. I, I was part of life when things some of you younger people just look at as history. I lived during that time. It was the birth of the civil rights movement. It was the birth of feminist movement. It, it was the time of the Vietnam War. The closest the United States has ever come to nuclear attack was in the 60s, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And we were actually told what to do in case nuclear weapons were launched into our country from Cuba. All of this was just a part of my life in the 60s and 70s. By, by the 70s, prayer was taken out of the schools. And my children who had grown up praying in school were no longer allowed to pray in school. Abortion was legalized. I think the year was 1973. So I lived in this time when the culture was changing in a way it had not changed. There were actually three assassinations in the 1960s. A president 
was assassinated. His brother was assassinated. Dr. King was assassinated in 10 years. So it was a, a time of great upheaval, but yet in the midst of all of that, God was doing something. In 1960, an Episcopalian priest began to speak with other tongues, and the Holy Spirit invaded religious systems across the world. In 1967, uh, two Catholics in Pennsylvania began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit just began to move in ways that only the Holy Spirit could move. And this was going on in the 60s. At the same time, the culture, what was changing, it, it was God taking us in a way that we had never gone. And I myself had been brought up in a Methodist church. Uh, I had gone to church all of my life with my family. I had never known God in any other way than a Methodist God. And I thought, you know, God loves Baptists and God loves uh, Episcopalians and God loves Lutherans and Catholics. But God is a Methodist. That's just what I believe. That when I got there, he would tell all of us, he's Methodist. I only knew God in that context. And in the midst of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he came upon me and my husband. And sitting by myself in my home on March the 25th, 1969, a 30-year-old woman raising two kids, married to, at that time, a certified public accountant, I began to speak with other tongues. The Holy Spirit was put, poured out upon me. I was the first person I ever heard speak with other tongues. And I began to go away that I had never gone before. I, I, I saw the way the Holy Spirit moves in the midst of a culture sometimes that seems very different, a culture that is changing. And we come now to the year 2020. And we, we've got a lot of things that go on in the culture. But let us be very sure that in the midst of everything we see, that there is the moving of God, that God is shifting gears. And I, I, I do not prophesy about 2021, but I will say this. We're going to go a way we've never gone with God. We're, we're going to travel a path with God. And I want to talk to you about how to do that what you need to stay connected uh, to God. Now, in our text, we understood that this group of people came to the Jordan River, uh, you know, from wandering. They had just wandered around, and now God is going to take them to the other side of the Jordan, and they're going to possess a land for God. I mean, everything has changed at the Jordan River. 
and to get them across because God was shifting things, it was going to require corporate movement. Uh, as I said, they weren't going to run across anytime they felt like running across. It was very organized. It was very corporate. And when God said, keep a distance of a half a mile, it was a government. It was order. It, it was structure. And this this tells us that God moves that way. And when we are at these times of a prophetic shift, we have to understand the power of, of the church, the power of a local church. Now, God is corporate. God's not this God who, who just operates alone. We believe there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, we know that the first time in creation, God said anything wasn't good. It was when Adam was alone. God laid his hand on Abraham. And God said to him, you're going to have a child, and that child is going to birth a, a nation. On the day of Pentecost, when the church was birthed, it was birthed with a corporate group, 120 believers. And I think one of the very uh, weak things about Christian people today is their lack of understanding of the power and the importance of the church. Uh, we, we just sort of, because we live in this culture where church is on every corner, uh, church is just familiar. Even atheists know about the church. It's just a word that's kicked around, talked about, and if we're not careful, it becomes about this. This room, this day, this is what we do uh, on Sunday. But you must understand that there is the crowning achievement of redemption. And the crowning achievement of redemption is this church. It is true that when Jesus was crucified, he said it is finished. And as far as salvation is concerned, it is finished. But Jesus is building a church. And Jesus is, is going to present it to himself one day as a glorious church. And right now, in the year 2020, Jesus is at work in his church. And in order for us, to go where God wants us to go, to be whom God wants us to be, to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish, we have to uh, grow and mature in our understanding of this thing that we casually call the church. Now, after I was baptized with the Holy Spirit in 1969, I, I was uh, told by God, Gene and I, that we were to join a Pentecostal church. And it was not at all that 
God wanted us to be in a Pentecostal church, God put me. I had never been with people like this. I had grown up with, in a very uh, formal, religious sort of setting. But these people were just different. Uh, God put me under a pastor that, that was never like any pastor I had ever had. And the reason God did this is I needed a church. And, and that church was not a building. It was a group of people. It, it was this, this power uh, of these people. And I learned about corporate faith. There's the faith we all have as individuals, but there is this very powerful truth of corporate faith. The church praying. The church believing. And so, you know, we're in this Pentecostal church, and I, I'm, you know, just baptized with the Spirit, and I, I see, you know, these people around me coming from a Methodist background. And one night during one of our services, this man died. He had a heart attack in our service, and he died. He was sitting in the back, and they laid him in the aisle of the church, and uh, a nurse was one of our members, and she checked him out, and she said, he's dead, call the ambulance. And so while we're waiting for the ambulance to call, the pastor said, well, why don't we all just come back here and gather around him and let's pray? And we did, and do you know what God did? God raised him from the dead. Amen. Raised him from the dead. And when the ambulance arrived, he was alive. He lived years after that. And I thought, dear God, what kind of people are these? <laughs> you call the ambulance, and the ambulance gets there. And we told them. We said, well, we prayed for him, and God raised them from the dead. And they look at us like we're, you know, just preaching lies or something. Just raised and I understood there was corporate faith, corporate faith, the church praying. In 2007, our, our son was in a very bad car accident. And as a result, Gary, uh, his heart stopped. He went without oxygen. They told us uh, he was brain damaged. They were going to move him to a hospital in Birmingham, Alabama, put a feeding tube in his stomach and to put him in a nursing home where he would live as a brain-damaged man with a feeding tube until he died. And the doctors told us there was no hope. And we said to the doctors, well, thank you for what you do, but we are a praying people. And I've traveled all over the United States to talk and speak and minister. I have friends all over the country pastors that I know, and we got on the phone and we called the church to pray. I had people in California, Washington, Texas, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Florida, New England, New York, praying for our son, and our son is alive and well today because the church prayed. The church prayed. The church prayed. Corporate prayed. 
I, I, I stayed in that church for 11 years under that pastor. He's still my pastor today. And that man grew me up. That man watched for my soul. That man uh, stayed in my life and corrected me and preached to me. That man covered me. The power of the church. And I don't know what God's going to do in the days ahead. I don't know what uh, the government in this country is going to do. But I want you to know there is a government of God that is alive and well. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church. Oh, dear people, there is great faith in this room today. The church can pray. We are the only ones in this country that can stand against principalities, powers, rulers in the darkness. The church. And, and when God shifts, you need the church. When 2021 comes, you need the church. The church is very important. The second thing that God did in my life when I came to this shift back in 1969, what was the leadership and the place of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, they come to River Jordan to cross over, and God gives these Israelites instructions. He said, uh, you're going to have to follow the ark because nobody knew where they were going. And he said, you're going to have to line up behind this ark and you're going to have to stay a half a mile away so that everybody can see the ark. You can't crowd it. And you've got to walk with measure. And the ark was the very presence of God. And if you don't know where you're going, you have to have leadership. And there's only one person who knows where we're going, it is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. Now, this Holy Spirit, I, I, I was raised in church, brought up in a Methodist church. We did the Apostle Creed every Sunday of my life. I believe in God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And I knew there was a Holy Spirit, but I did not know the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sort of like a distant cousin to me. I knew that he was around, but, uh, you know, I, I wasn't too familiar with him. Every now and then I'd do a 911 call and he would answer. But I, I really had no knowable relationship with the Holy Spirit. He, he was just sort of, you know, this, this invisible, unknown presence. And then he, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I was put in this church with people who knew the Holy Spirit. I began to cross paths with people who talked about the Holy Spirit, the way I talk about my husband. And I, I was just blown away. And I remember I had gone to Mississippi to speak. 
And this man had invited me over there, and I did a conference for him. And I didn't really know him. I lived in Alabama at the time, very immature as far as my understanding of God, not where I am today. And, and this man was going to take me to the airport after the conference ended, and I was going to catch an early plane. So it's 5.30 in the morning. I'm over in Mississippi, and he comes by the hotel to pick me up to take me to the airport. And Mr. Mitchell said to me, he said, uh, Sister June, that's what he called me, he said, before we go to the airport, he said, we're going to run by, we called them in those days, filling stations. They weren't QTs back then. They were little uh, locally owned filling stations where you got gasoline. He said, we're going to run by this filling station because the Holy Spirit woke me up this morning. And the Holy Spirit said, Tom, who owns the filling station, is ready to give his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants you to pray for him. And I thought, God, I'm stuck at 530 in the morning with this crazy man that says the Holy Spirit told him Tom's ready to get saved and I'm supposed to lead Tom to the Lord. And I thought, God, deliver me. Deliver me. Deliver me. And we pull up in front of the filling station and there's Tom out front washing his windows and Brother Mitchell pulls up, rolls the window down. In those days, we had to roll them down like this. And Brother Mitchell said, Good morning, Tom. And Tom said, good morning, Brother Mitchell. And he said, Tom, come over here. And Tom came over and he said, Tom, the Lord spoke to me. You're ready to give your heart to Jesus this morning. Tom burst into tears, just starts weeping. Oh, you're right, Brother Mitchell. You're right. And Brother Mitchell said, well, he's brought this woman from Alabama to pray for you. He said, Tom, stick your head in the window and let her lay hands on you. <laughs> so Tom sticks his head in the window, and I lay my hands on him and lead him to Jesus. Tom just weeping and crying. And then Brother Mitchell said, well, move your head, Tom. We got to get to the airport. She's got to <laughs> catch a plane. I thought, what kind of man is this? God woke him up. At 5.30, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. The Holy Spirit told him. And I said, oh, Holy Spirit, let me know you that way. Let me come to age 81 that I know your voice better than I know my own husband. Let me know the Holy Spirit. And I've worked at that. The Holy Spirit has come, and the Bible says he'll lead me. He'll talk to me. The Holy Spirit will show me things to come. He'll bear witness with me. And I worked really hard to get there, made real effort to talk to the Holy Spirit, to listen for the Holy Spirit. And I had been invited to go to England to speak in a conference, and I had agreed to go. 
and it was in May, and the conference was going to be in September. And I, I just couldn't get any peace about it. I called it the scratching of the spirit. There was just something in me that was uneasy. And uh, I, I got the information. I found out I was going to fly to England only to speak one time for 45 minutes. And I didn't feel good about that. And so I emailed the people that had invited me. And I said, look, the ticket's going to cost $1,000. Uh, I'm only going to speak 45 minutes. I said, I don't feel good about coming. Why don't you let me come next year? and you can use me more, and they agreed. So this was May, I canceled it. And then on the morning that I should have been flying in September, I was standing in my bedroom watching terrorists fly airplanes into the World Trade Center. And I looked at that and I thought, it was not about a 45 minute speech, the Holy Spirit didn't want me airborne that day. The Holy Spirit kept me out of airplanes. See, we have to make the Holy Spirit very real. We have to make the Holy Spirit very practical. The reason you're here today is because Gene and I were in a meeting in Alabama, and somebody said to us, why don't you start a church in Atlanta? And Gene said, we don't have a building. They told us about this building. Somebody said there's a building for sale. It was this building, the Holy Spirit. So in the days ahead, you're going to need the church. You're going to need the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And last but not least, God needs you. When the Israelites were going over into Canaan land, it was not about them. God needed that land. That's where Jerusalem was. Uh, Nazareth, Bethlehem, the Mount of Olives, all of that was in the hands of the wrong people. And this, these Israelites went over and they began to do what God needed them to do. See, it's a very strange thought to us to understand God needs us. God needs us. He doesn't just move independent. God needs us. And we have to understand ourselves as that way. I'm telling you, there's great potential in this room. And if you only stay with what you know about yourself, uh, you'll never know that potential. Do you think in 1969 I saw myself as a woman preacher? No. As far as I was concerned, I was going to be, I was educated to be a, a teacher. I was going to work in public schools, colleges. And yet here I am today because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit saw a, a, a need and he used me to meet that need. See, God wants to use a people. I was reading the Atlanta newspaper. I do this every morning. This was the headline on the sports page. I don't know what I was doing on the sports page, but there it was. It said this about our Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons' talent is evident 
But you are what your record is. You are what your record is. Meaning there's a lot of talent there. They just can't win the games. You are what your record is. And I'll tell you this morning, there's a lot of potential in this room. There's just a lot of potential. You don't know what you can do until God lays his hand on you. This man that preached the first service used to be afraid to speak in public and would not speak in public. And yet here he is a preacher because God put his hand there and potential came out of that. You know, people always say, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do. And I say, well, start where you are. You don't have to save China and feed the world and shake shake. South America, just start where you are. There was a woman in the Bible study I had in my home, and she came to me one day. You heard Mark say, 100 chairs, I think it was literally about 40 to 50, somewhat more. And she said to me, it's not right that you all have to put those chairs up. She said, I'll put them up. She said, God told me to do that. And every week when we met, she put the chairs up and she uh, arranged them in rows. And when it was over, she took the chairs down. She ended up with a healing ministry because she straightened a chair. See, you just start where you are. When we moved back into the building, uh, I had told God, I said, God, I'm going to do something for you you have not asked me to do. I'm so grateful for you saving my son's life, and I don't want you to tell me anything to do. I'm going to do something you haven't asked me to do. And I heard Mark say, uh, this was as soon as we moved back in, until we get cleaners, I don't have anybody to clean the church. And I said, I'll clean the foyer. And it was the greatest thing I ever did for God. I went out there every Monday morning and cleaned it up. See, start where you are. There is great, great potential in all of us. So there's the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the importance of the church, and God's need for you. This is where 2021 becomes important for you. And then the last thing it said is we are to expect wonders. Now listen, God's a supernatural God. Why shouldn't we expect God to do the supernatural. How many of you will take a wonder if God wants to give you one? I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I don't want us to have these dry testimonies of a God that never does anything. God does wonders. And when you step out, God just does the supernatural. Now, after this 9-11, I was in the first group of people that flew out of Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. I had a, a meeting to do. I was in that first group. That first day, they started flying planes after 9-11. There I stand with hundreds of people. It was chaos. They didn't have security. They weren't able to, you know, inspect the... Uh, bags with x-rays. It was terrible. 
And there I am in this long line with luggage, waiting to see a ticket agent at a counter. Everybody's grumbling. And so I start a conversation with this woman, and she said, well, you're a frequent flyer. She said, you're in the wrong line. She said, you need to be in another line that's not this long. And I said, well, how do I find it? She said, well, ask that, that agent over there. So I take my luggage, and I go up to this Delta agent, and she was real hateful. She said, what do you want? And I, and I told her, I said, well, they told me I'm in the wrong line. And she said, you aren't in the wrong line. You were in the right line. Get back in that line. I said, dear God, are you telling me I got out of that line and now I've got to go get in the back of that line and start all over again? And she just growled and she said, come with me. And I thought, dear Lord, I'm about to be arrested. They're going to take me in. They think I'm a terrorist. And so she marches me over, now listen to this, to the head of the line and she said, stand right here. And when she calls you, go up. I'm at the head of the line. Nobody's in front of me. So when the agent calls me up, she said, I saw you. She said, you, you broke in line here. I said, I did not. I said, that agent right there told me to get right here. And the agent was looking at her, nodding. And her whole attitude changed. She said, oh, Miss Evans. Uh, she said, I'm sorry. And she said, you must know somebody really high up. And I knew she was talking about Mr. Delta. And I said, I do know somebody really high up. And she moved me up to first class. <laughs> because I do know somebody really high up. You know somebody really high up. I don't care what the world says. You connect with the church. You let the Holy Spirit lead you. And you understand there is something in you that God needs in the days ahead. Amen. 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 And then expect God to do wonders. Because you know somebody really high up. Let's just lay hands on ourselves. Would you do that? Father, I thank you today that we are the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you today for your anointing, your Holy Spirit sent to us. Lord, that we are not stumbling around in darkness. Every person in here knows they have a Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for your choice in using us. And we just, as we move forward, expect you to do wonders. Now, would you just stand to your feet? We're going to come forward and receive communion. Uh, and as you come, we're going to have prayer people on either side. Myself and Jean are here. And here's what I want you to do today as you take communion. I want you to be thankful for the church. I want you to be thankful that we do not do life alone. I want you to, as you take communion, realize Jesus died for a church. And then I want you 
to make effort to connect with the Holy Spirit like you have never connected with the Holy Spirit before. If you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, we're here to pray for you. I don't know what the days ahead are like, but I know we're going to need the Holy Spirit. And, and then I want you to understand there's great potential in you. I, I want to say as an 80-year-old woman, when I was 20, I never saw myself doing this. It was not in my script. It was not in my vision. I'm where I am today because God put me here. You are in this building today because somebody put their feet in God's waters and made a way for you. Joshua, those leaders put their feet in the water and it parted. My husband and I came here and put our feet in the water. Mark and Robin came and put their feet in the water and with leaders built what we're worshiping in today. God needs people who will put their feet in the water. And as you come and take communion, I want you to be that kind of believer. Let God use you. Our giving baskets are here. You can give your tithes, your offering, their boxes of giving. So Father, we release the power of the Holy Spirit now as we take communion. We thank you, Jesus. We're part of the church. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell here. You live in us. You're very powerful right now in our presence to heal us, to deliver us, to set us free. And Lord, as we take communion, we say, here we are. Use us in Jesus' name. You be blessed as you come. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 